You're going to see huge gains. I know when I started, every time I went in the gym, I hit a PR just, you know, because I was a lot stronger than I or, or anyone else thought I was. So it was like, you're going to see a lot of progress and a lot of gains in the beginning. But, you know, if you're just testing it out for fun and it starts to kind of slow down or you plateau for a moment, some people will leave. If it's somebody that's doing it because they want to be athletic and stay healthy for the rest of their life, I try to bring it up before they hit the plateau while they're still starting that, you know, by the way, we all hit plateaus. We all will experience some sort of aches and pains or life that jumps in the way. And you just need to keep pushing through. Welcome back to the Clinical Athlete Podcast. If you're not familiar with Clinical Athlete, we're a network of healthcare providers, students and coaches who specialize in the management of athletes. You can find your nearest Clinical Athlete provider at clinicalathlete.com. We also have the Clinical Athlete Forum, where we discuss and share ideas and resources related to athlete health and performance. To join the forum or for a potential listing on the Clinical Athlete Directory and for all upcoming seminars, webinars, and events, details can be found on the website. This podcast can also be found on your favorite podcast platform. And if it allows you to rate the show, we'd appreciate you taking the time to do that so that we can get the info out to as many people as possible. My name is Quinn Hennick. I'm a doctor of physical therapy in Orange County, California at Clinical Athlete Newport. And my co-hosts are on the show too. We have Jared Maynard, a clinical athlete provider and physiotherapist up in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. He is a powerlifting coach and owner of Unbreakable Strength Online. And he's a competitive powerlifter himself. And we have John Flagg, who is an athletic trainer and the powerlifting, weightlifting, and strongman coach at 301 Strong in White Plains, Maryland, and the owner of Rebuild Stronger. He's also a clinical athlete provider and lead instructor of the clinical athlete powerlifting certification. We have two awesome guests on this show, Matt and Susie Gary, who have a combined 50 plus years experience in coaching powerlifters and strength-based athletes. They share some absolute gems on what it means to be a great coach. Really quick, before we get into the show, Clinical Athlete has teamed up with the Level Up Initiative to bring you the virtual Kalu Summit. This will be an immersive three-day experience, entirely virtual, and includes an amazing lineup of speakers. Over the course of three days, we will tackle important principles of communication and exercise prescription for ACL rehab, tendinopathy, and low back pain. Tons of networking and brain gains will be had. So if you're interested, check out the link in the show notes. It's coming up in September. Okay, now let's get to our awesome interview with Matt and Susie Gary. Welcome back to the Clinical Athlete Podcast. This is John Flagg, certified athletic trainer and clinical athlete provider. As usual, we have Quinn Hennick. Quinn, how are we doing tonight? Doing well, man. Happy to be here. That's awesome. Jared Maynard up in Canada, our physiotherapist up there. How are we doing, buddy? Doing great. Doing great. Excited for this conversation. As am I, because I have to go ahead and throw my bias out there. I'm fortunate enough to be local to these two people. 
and they've been a, a pretty big influence in my own coaching career from even way back when I, I first took the USAPL cert course that I was fortunate enough to have Matt and Susie teach. So without further ado, uh, two of the premier coaches and, and honestly athletes in powerlifting, Matt and Susie Gary are with us tonight. Um, so if you guys could tell us a little bit about yourselves, what got you involved in the sport, um, your competitive life and coaching life and, and kind of where you guys are now. Go ahead, Matt. No, ladies first. Oh, okay. Age first. <laughs> Age before beauty. That's me. Yeah, right. uh, so I've been competing since 1991. And back then it was all equipped. I've done equipped. I've done raw. I'm in my 30th year. I've been very blessed with success. I've won one open and is it five? Five master world championships in the IPF. And... Uh, Still healthy, still going strong, and and actually hit some all-time personal bests last year at 51 years old. So I'm pretty excited about that. Coaching, I've been really doing the coaching for about 10 or 11 years, uh, a lot more the past five or six years, anywhere from local lifters, first-time competitions, to I was the head coach for the U.S. national team for the Raw World Championships for three years. And I've assisted Matt on various ones, and we've had the opportunity to work with just some phenomenal athletes. Yeah, and then just kind of uh, picking up from there, uh, I've been competing for 25 years. I did my first competition in 1995. And uh, so uh, I certainly don't have the, the accolades nor the achievements um, uh, as far as a competitor uh, goes as Susie. Uh, she's far more decorated than myself. I guess I've probably cut my teeth more in the realm of coaching, um, but have been competing for 25 years, both, uh, as Susie said, both equipped and raw. You know, back when we first started, um, you certainly could compete raw and and without all the, the extras and the accoutrements, but but really nobody was at the time. So we were all kind of just uh, thrown into the fire, so to speak, and and wore the equipment. Uh, I've been coaching uh, about the same amount of time, but my first start was actually in strength and conditioning uh, when I got out of college in 94. Uh, around the time that I started competing, I did some uh, uh, strength and conditioning coaching uh, for a local high school, DeMatha Catholic, which is uh, a nationally renowned um, school. As a matter of fact, Morgan Wooten, uh, who's a very famous high school basketball coach, just passed away the other day. And, and so he was uh, somebody that I worked with rather closely when I was at DeMatha. And, and then, uh, like a lot of other powerlifting coaches, you know, initially started writing training for my friends and, and, and helping out, um, you know, people that I trained with and so forth. And then, you know, I think that that kind of reaches a, a point of critical mass, if you will, where you kind of realize, hey, I can I can get paid for this and my time is valuable and I, I can't be doing this for free any longer. And so you start charging for it. Uh, formally, uh, in terms of formal coaching uh, with our national teams and USA powerlifting and so forth, that began in 2003. So that's been about, I guess, you subtract what eight years. So, so eight, you know, 17 or 18 years that I've been coaching formally with uh, 
with the national teams. Uh, and, and frankly, you know, I, I got my foot in the door because of Susie. Uh, Susie and I were dating at the time. And in 2003, she went to the IPF Open World Championships that was equipped in Chicago. And we were training partners at the time. And she asked me if I wanted to tag along. And I literally and figuratively just, you know, leaped at the opportunity and, uh, you know, wanted to go. I'd never been to a world championships. And so in 2003, I went with Susie and, um, and of course, you know, she won that year, which is, you know, I like to think it's not, <laughs> I, I like to say it's not a coincidence, but, no. <laughs> but, but I went and, um, you know, really just threw my, my, uh, threw myself at the, at the feet of the head coach and said, look, man, I'm, I'm here to serve. Um, I don't know anything about coaching at the national or international level, and I'm here to be Susie's helper and I'll chalk backs and wrap knees and roll wraps and load weights. And you just tell me what to do. And so that's what I did. I helped Susie out of course, and a couple of the other lifters. And then every subsequent year when Susie would make a national team to go to a world championships, I got invited back on the staff uh, and and really just kind of was a grunt and a laborer, if you will, and and kind of worked my way up through the ranks there. And so then eventually uh, got named to, you know, um, to be the head coach of a team finally and uh, and 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 uh, have been fortunate enough to do. I've been the head coach of five national teams and have been an assistant on gosh, more than 30, if you count them all out through the years. So, um, really have the, the vast majority of my experience is, is coaching at these international events. And, and frankly, that's what we're most passionate about. So, and, and Susie and I together own a facility in Rockville, Maryland. It's a, it's a 2000 square foot, um, warehouse facility. And of course, John's been out to train with us a couple of times and, um, yeah, we're primarily aimed at powerlifters, but we have some weightlifters and uh, strongman competitors and just other sport athletes who, you know, like to do the powerlifts as part of their training. And the name is Supreme Sports, by the way, for people that don't know. Yeah, performance and training. That's, that's <laughs> actually Susie has the shirt on SSPT. So SSPT. Right. <laughs> yep. You'll see those shirts all over the place at nationals, too, because yeah. they handle a ton of people out there. That's right. <laughs> Um, you guys have been in a, a, a real unique position to watch the sport grow from mainly equipped shifting to raw, which is it just exploded. And now actually we're starting to see a trend in equipped lifting kind of making a comeback, especially single ply. Um, what has been your guys' perspective of that? How have you seen the sport change? Do you want Susie? me to start or do you want to start? Go ahead, Susie. Why, why don't you start on all of these and then I'll kind oh. of pick up where you leave off. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the biggest changes that I've noticed is, as we alluded to earlier, they only had one competition and it allowed equipment. So when we first started, you could put on as much as you wanted, but you were lifting against equipped lifters no matter what, whenever you competed. And once the raw came out, I noticed, I you know, love them or hate them, CrossFit made a huge difference because suddenly people started doing the barbell lifts and CrossFitters love to compete. So they started doing Olympic lifting competitions and powerlifting competitions. Social media has made a huge difference in powerlifting only because people are now aware of it, more aware of it. A lot more women are in powerlifting than used to be in powerlifting. It's more acceptable. Um, when I first started, people assumed I looked like a 
you know, uh, under five foot ghoul when I said I was a power lifter, you know, just <laughs> what everybody, you know, thinks. And um, I'd say the other thing is just accessibility. When I first was competing, you heard about it by word of mouth or you saw it in the Powerlifting USA magazine. And then you would call the meet director, he would mail you an entry form and you would send him back a check and you would show up at the competition and you'd find out who you were competing with there when you showed up. And, you know, nowadays you can research your competitors. There's a lot more, you know, there's information so readily available. Some of it's trash, a lot of it's great, but there's all these different programs available, nutrition, uh, it just it's very accessible. And if, you know, if you didn't know someone before, I'd say the only other thing that I noticed the big difference when it was equipped lifting, there were fewer people and you needed people to train with. So it was, it was very, uh, not club-like, but somewhat, you know, it was camaraderie was a lot and had to be because you all helped each other. You didn't have coaches but everybody needed help. So everybody coached each other and helped each other. Whereas now um, you'll have a lot of people, they're just lifters. They don't coach. They don't help anybody do anything else. Where back then there were a lot fewer people and we refereed, we coached each other, we helped each other, we spotted, loaded, we did everything. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people that only lift and they don't give back as much as I think the percentage of people that used to give back when we first started. So agreed. I think uh, the explosion of raw lifting is also kind of lowered the barrier of entry mm-hmm. when it, when it comes to you know, buying a squat suit, buying a bench shirt, buying a deadlift suit, there's, there's expense. And like you're talking about, I came up to SSPT to, to get some work in the shirt it's like, well, I can't with my arms stuck straight out like Frankenstein. I can't, you know, tweak the front portion down and and get the collar where it needs to be. I need help. And you know, Matt was gracious enough to help me there. And then I went and showed my lifters, okay, this is what I need. Um, but you know, that the explosion of roll lifting has helped a lot. But with numbers comes that same kind of drawback where people show up, they lift, they leave, and mm-hmm. you know that popularity is great, but sometimes there are kind of negative impacts with that. Matt, what have you seen? I think, well, so <laughs> Susie stole a lot of my thunder there. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, I think, yeah, Susie mentioned a lot of the same things that, that, um, that I was going to mention, but I can, I can elaborate a little bit on some of that. I think, I think largely one of the reasons that um, powerlifting has exploded in addition to the reasons that she mentioned, which I'll touch upon in a second, is, uh, for, you know, she and I started, again, Susie started a few years before I did, and you started in 92, right? Was it 92? 91. Yeah, 91. So a lot of your listeners to this podcast may have we're not, born. Even, <laughs> not even been born yet or were just being born. And I, so I know that makes us sound like old farts, but it does allow us to provide some perspective, you know? And, and so uh, when we were competing initially, that we're talking pre-internet now, right? And it's just like, you know, a lot of people can't think of life without the internet. And so now that, you know, the internet is there, as Susie said, the information is just readily available. So the, the dissemination and exchange of information is just, it, it's so easy. And so nowadays, 
there's so much more information on training and recovery and nutrition and sleep and all of these different things. And so that's right there because it's more readily available. Um, you know, it, 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 it makes more people attracted to it. And to Susie's point, there's more women involved in the sport now than ever. And the, and the fact is, is that women move the needle. They, they, they move the needle with regards to everything, whether it's fashion or music or food, you, you name it. Uh, women drive uh, the economy with the, the, the way that they, you know, place their purchases and so forth. So women have brought a tremendous amount of, the, of, of people into the sport just by themselves, but then also by guys who want to get involved in the sport because it's a place to, you know, be around and, and be with more females. I mean, that's just the, the fact of the matter. Um, and, and as Susie said, CrossFit, and of course the explosion of social media. And, and those last three things, women, CrossFit, and social media, when you add all those three things together, it really creates this, this environment of social acceptance where it's no longer, you know, you know, there's no more stigma attached to lifting weights and to being strong and to being athletic and to getting out there and working hard and straining and struggling and so forth. And so because of all that, there's now a much larger talent pool. And so that's why I think we're seeing some of these just performances that we didn't think were possible by both men and women before. And frankly, in some regards, I think we're just scratching the surface because I think that um, I do believe, I mean, the numbers show now, you know, we've tracked data within USA Powerlifting that um, we are still growing every year. We're just not growing at the rate that we were about a year or two ago. So I think we've We've peaked and we may be over the, the 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 crest, so to speak, but we're still growing. Um, but as other people are exposed to it via these, you know, other channels, if you will, CrossFit and social media and so forth, and it becomes more socially acceptable. You, we have a lot of crossover athletes who come into our sport, and those are the ones who come from other athletic backgrounds who you know, may not have been groomed along in powerlifting, but may have been football players or rugby players or you know, whatever, you name it, gymnasts. And they come into powerlifting and they get acquainted with the barbell. And that's why you're seeing some of these just, just otherworldly performances uh, happening. And, and I think it's a great time to, to be involved, frankly. I mean, like you said, John, it's, you know, there are some drawbacks and some pitfalls with having, you know, uh, larger meets and so forth and more people doing it and doing the thing. But by the same token, it just, um, you know, when more people come into an activity, then you're going to see these performances and they no longer become these one-off performances, you know, uh, they, they become a little bit more normal. So I think it's a, it's a fun time to be involved in the sport. I think another thing on the note of just more people coming out and there's a, a bigger pool of people. Also, you see something being done and you see it on the internet and it becomes real. And now you believe you can do it. Mm-hmm. And and everyone keeps pushing the next person. I remember when Daniela Mello came and they're like, wow, there's not going to be another one of her. And then guess what? Boom, Amanda came next year. So um, it it's an incredible talent pool. But I also think the more people do things, the more others believe they can. Mm-hmm. Well, and the other thing that I'm seeing, at least locally, is you're not just seeing young athletes come out. We're having older and older athletes transition over. And, you know, something you mentioned earlier, Susie, at 51, hitting lifetime PRs, this is a sport you can do. For an extended period of time to be very, very successful. And that, you know, that transcends, we can talk about, you know, Bryce's 
unreal performance earlier this year after taking time off. But to to see people knock down barriers that we would not expect with age, that it, it shows that there's a lot more there and we can continue to move that needle um, and kind of blow down expectations, which is, is really important as the sport progresses. Cause I do believe it is a, a, a lifelong sport and something people can compete in for an extended period of time. And you're really just proving that to people at this point. Um, just to, to move, keep, keep kind of the, the ball rolling here with this growth in popularity. We've also seen a, a big spike in coaching because there's, mm-hmm. there's so many people. And I mean, Susie mentioned it earlier. There's some stuff out there that's some trash, like just not good quality stuff. Um, what do you think makes a good coach? We, we gotta, we're going to go into the coaching stuff here, but at baseline, what do you, what do you think makes a good coach? Since I stole everything last time, you can go first, Matt. We'll take turns. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to throw out some stuff that may not be too sciencey, but just just kind of practical. I think I think coaches really need to be communicative and be good communicators and need to be professional. And I'm talking, you know, this extends, be, you know, call me old fashioned, but this extends beyond just having an Instagram handle and say, hey, DM me for coaching. I mean, that's, you know, that's what we see now. You know, somebody hits a big total and it's all about, oh, DM me for coaching or coaching, you know, serious inquiries only. And then in their next post, they're like, oh, I've only got three spots available. You know, and so it's, I mean, three I can spots see, left. You know, they've got three <laughs> slots left. You better sign up now. It's like, you know, be a good communicator um, with, with, with prospective clients and, and, and follow through and, and follow up. And if you, if you really call yourself a professional, then you, then in my opinion, you, you damn well better act like one. Um, I think it's important to be honest. And, and I know that, you know, I was taking some, writing some stuff down and I, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Cause I, that might be some of the answer to some of the other conversations that get thrown around later. But I think it's important to, to be an effective communicator and honest with your clients and be pragmatic and realistic and, and, and don't try to sell them on a set of goods that's, you know, unrealistic or, or impossible. Um, I, I think we've seen people nowadays pushing the boundaries of human performance, but you also have to be realistic at the same time. And I think it's also important that the, that the coaches have a comprehensive understanding of the rules of, of the sport that you're coaching in. And I think it's, it's shameful uh, sometimes when we go to nationals and I get asked by other coaches who might be more, you know, quote unquote famous or well-known than Susie and myself. And they're asking us all kind of questions about the rules. And it just, that kind of just blows my mind. I mean, I think it's really important that you should understand. I mean, look, we're, 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 we're Susie and I like to watch American football. I mean, could you imagine where you're watching an NFL game and they go over to the sideline and they, you know, and, and, and Bill Belichick doesn't understand something and he needs to, you know, the, the referee says to him, well, this was the call. And Bill Belichick says, what in the world does that mean? I mean, that's, you know, we kind of laugh at that, but it's, it's, these are type of the things that are sometimes going on at these events and people don't know the rules. And I think it's important that you have a a rather comprehensive understanding of the rules. You know, you don't have to know necessarily that the bench is supposed to be 17 and a half inches off the ground, but you damn well better know the difference between lot numbers and which attempts you're allowed to take and timing and all that sort of thing. And you'd be surprised because some of these coaches think that they can spit out, you know, some training program or something like that, you know, some template for somebody to follow. Uh, but yet, you know, uh, when the rubber meets the road, so to speak, they, they don't know, you know, a kilo from a kiwi. So it's just, um, you know, I mean, 
you know, and, and, and so anyhow, those are just some of the things. And, and so I know that that may not be sexy. Some of these answers may not be sexy and there might not be much science behind it. But I think, you know, a lot of us coming into the sport have a lot of the same letters after our name. A lot of us have a lot of the same degrees. We have backgrounds in exercise physiology and so on and so forth. And so, you know, just uh, certified does not mean necessarily mean qualified. And so I think, you know, your experience uh, goes a long way and, and you would be wise if and when you're shopping for a coach to ask them about their experience, you know, competitive experience as well as who they've coached and, and, and ask for some references and find out what they've done with some of their athletes, you know, and, and ask questions like rate of injury and all these sorts of things and the progress that they're co that they've made with their athletes, you know, and it's one thing to, to work with a high level athlete, but it's another thing to take somebody and, you know, and transform them from a first time novice and then groom them along you know, with a low rate of injury and bring them along up through nationals and regionals and so on and so forth. And then to send to a national team. I mean, that's a, that's another story. So anyhow, those are just some of the things that I think are rather important. Well, we talk a lot on the show about coach athlete relationship and that communication is where it all starts. Yep. It doesn't have to be fancy and sexy and, you know, have a whole bunch of references to it we it, we like that kind of content when especially when it comes to a lot of the things we talk about but but being people is still incredibly important and we're still talking about an aspect that has customer service to it mm -hmm. you know if this is if they're your athlete they're your customer like you you should should be professional about those things and and have upfront conversations and uh you know some people just they find that difficult. Yeah, they're 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 hiring you for a service, and so you you are matter of factly their employee, and so you know um, you you should you should serve them accordingly. You know, to your point. Just to jump in before we we get your thoughts, Susie. We talk a lot on the show about um, care. Well, lately, about, a lot about character and integrity and our responsibility as healthcare professionals, just because you know we talk a lot about rehab and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so it really resonated with me as you were listing those things off there, Matt, um, of just really being honest and recognizing that people are trusting their their time and their money and their general well-being to you in addition to their their performances. And we've talked before about trying to stay in our lane. And if you tell me if you'd agree with this, I think if someone if a prospective client approached you and they were looking for you to help them out with prep for this particular competition and you know maybe it's a it's a bit of a reach. Maybe you're not super comfortable with that level of competition or you aren't super sure if you can deliver effectively on what they're asking for. Maybe that's a good time to say, hey, I appreciate you asking, but uh, I don't know if I'm the person for you. Uh, here are my, or here are some ideas or some some contacts of mine that you might inquire about that could probably serve you better. Would, would you agree with that too? That, uh, as Susie, look, were you going to mention this week we received an yeah. email, as a matter of fact? Yeah, Susie, go ahead and tell the story. Oh, well, we received an email this week from someone who mentioned that they did the power lifts, but they wanted to work on their explosive lifts like Oli lifts. And our, we always tell them right away, that is not our specialty. And we refer them to someone who's an, an Oli lifter coach. And, um, you know, she has been to even compete in the Olympics. So at least we have good references. But I think it's very important as a health professional or a coach, because I'm also a massage therapist. I worked with someone who had sciatic nerve issues. And the first 
six or seven events over five years where his would flare up two or three times, he'd be functioning really well and the pain would be subsiding. Well, the sixth time I worked with him, he was functioning, but his pain wasn't going away. So I told him, if you don't feel better tomorrow, if the pain isn't better, I don't want you to see me again. I want to refer you to an acupuncturist or someone else. So I think it's really important as a coach and a professional to admit when it's beyond your scope or maybe it's in your scope one time, but for whatever reason, it's not working. You might work with an athlete and you might be a great coach, but the way you coach and the way they learn just may not mesh. And so I think it it takes a good person to also be okay with passing someone on to someone else. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that um, because I actually had that in my notes. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. I mean, I, yeah, I, I have, am a firm believer in, in, in picking a lane and staying in it and playing to your strengths. And that's precisely what we try to do at SSPT. We are um, certainly not expert in, in everything. I know that coaches today, whether it be powerlifting, weightlifting, just in, in this fitness field, if you will, um, you know, we're almost required to wear multiple hats. And so uh, by the same token, um, while we're required to wear multiple hats in terms of uh, programming and then doing hands-on stuff and perhaps game day for different events and so forth, um, you know, you fellows have a physical therapy background. I certainly do not. Uh, and 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 do not profess to to know the things that you guys know. And so I, you know, immediately when someone comes in and has some issues, I mean, certainly I'm able to diagnose, you know, certain things. But when it gets out of or beyond my scope, I'm quick to say, look, I'm I'm not. I'm not the person that can properly care for you and hand them off or, or, or push them in the direction that I feel somebody can can serve them better. I'd, I'd rather be an expert at one thing than average at all of them and a master of none. So, Agreed. Absolutely. So I think one of the questions we had were what are two or three things you'd tell a newer coaches, but I think we kind of nailed a lot of that. Is there anything else you'd want to add? To, that you would kind of speak to newer coaches to, to best serve their clients or is it pretty much cleaned up there? Well, I, one thing I'd add is as well as being honest as far as what you can give to the athlete, it's very important to be honest with the athlete. I see too many coaches that are like, you're doing great, you're doing great and they know their lifter is squatting parallel or you know, promise them things that probably realistically aren't going to happen. And being able to tell an athlete, you know, don't, don't tell them they can make it to nationals the next year if they're new and they can't. It doesn't mean they never will, but I think you need to be honest. You need to help them to get better. You can't say, hey, you're lifting great when you're making errors or if you're only hitting three attempts in a meet out of nine, you know, then I'm going to be honest and say, okay, we have to figure out, is this because you're nervous? Is this because you're squatting high? Is this different things? And I think too many times you you have some coaches, they're just yes men. And I don't think you're helping your lifters at all just by telling them what they want to hear. That That's actually a good point. I want to dive into that a little bit since that is something we were going to talk about later, but I think it's a good time right now. Oh, no, no. It's it's a good segue into 
kind of setting expectations. Um, there's a lot of times, especially with the social media climate, a lot of people think that they can get to nationals or get to a really high level very quickly um, because you do see people that just kind of jump onto the scene. Amanda is a, a great example. We didn't really see a lot of presence social media wise. And then she's squatting 550 and everybody's like, Oh, yeah. well, where'd she come from? And it's like, you didn't it's called see- genetics and hard work. But yeah, you didn't see the last yeah. three, four, five years of her like just working her tail off in the gym. So especially at the start of a coaching relationship, how do you guys go about setting those expectations? And then how do you build on that as time continues? Because as you know, goals and they kind of fall down and they progress, you have to continually set newer expectations. So how do you guys go about doing that? I, I think one of the things that I um, like to do, particularly in the beginning, is 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 ask a few questions, but do a lot of listening. I think it's um, it it it's it's key to find out each person's why. I, I like knowing why they're doing something, um, why they're endeavoring. You know, again, we're primarily involved with powerlifters. Why is it that you're powerlifting? You know, is it um, you know, for most people, it's uh, they're intrinsically motivated. You know, there aren't you know no nobody is is getting wealthy off of powerlifting, at least not yet. And so, you know, most of their motivations stem from, um, you know, being intrinsically motivated. Perhaps it's, you know, there might be a little bit of quote unquote peer pressure in there, but they, they want to be their best selves. Or for some, it might be a sense of technical mastery or, or they enjoy the, the incremental progress and process of, of getting stronger. But I like finding out the why and asking a lot of questions. Cause I think, I think, you know, it's important for coaches to get lifter buy-in and and create space for client autonomy so that they can feel like, you know, like they're actually driving the bus. I like to think, you know, that we're just um, providing the coordinates, you know. Susie and I are just kind of the GPS, if you will, you know, and, and helping to provide the roadmap. And that roadmap is a it, – it's an outline. It's a skeleton. And, and you know, it, it, it's okay if, you know, you're supposed to make a left turn and instead of making a hard left, you make a soft one. Or sometimes you make a right turn altogether. But so in the beginning, in terms of setting those expectations, I like to do a lot of listening. I like to get lifter buy-in. I like to find out the why. And some of the questions that I'll ask them is, you know, where do you see yourself, you know, in in a year? You know, um, ask for those short-term goals um, versus the long-term goals and try to find out where they see themselves in a year and three years. And sometimes it's things like that are really hard to predict. You know, you you bring up some of these lifters who are who are juniors now and who are really strong and, and some of the stars that burn the brightest, you know, um, or, or that shine the brightest burn out the fastest. And so, and, and that's not, to, I'm not throwing shade on anybody and insinuating that they're going to burn out and that they won't be here any longer. But we do see that, you know, not just in powerlifting, but in other sports, you know, once um, some of the, the junior lifters, if you will, get into um, quote unquote, what we might consider adulthood, or they have responsibility that extends beyond, you know, just um, training and, 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 and maybe taking some classes or something when they get out into the real world, you know, or, or look, they get involved in relationships, you know, things change. So I do try to um, find, you know, the answers to some of those questions so that we can, you know, create some realistic expectations um, for them. And, and, and that's just kind of how I approach it. So I think it really, again, there's a human element in all of this. 
you know, we're, we're teachers and, and, and with that, we need to be, um, we need to realize that we're dealing with the human on the other side of it. We're not dealing with robots. And so we need to ask these questions and then be receptive to the feedback that we get. One thing I'd say about expectations, when I'm first talking with someone, you know, obviously you ask them their goals, why they want to do it. And I, I don't rain on their parade, but as things are going, I'll just happen to mention, you know, enjoy right now. You're just starting. You're going to see huge gains. I know when I started, every time I went in the gym, I hit a PR just, you know, because I was a lot stronger than I or, or anyone else thought I was. So it was like, you're going to see a lot of progress and a lot of gains in the beginning. But, you know, if you're just testing it out for fun and it starts to kind of slow down or you plateau for a moment, some people will leave. If it's somebody that's doing it because they want to be athletic and stay healthy for the rest of their life, I try to bring it up before they hit the plateau while they're still starting that, you know, by the way, we all hit plateaus. We all will experience some sort of aches and pains or life that jumps in the way. And you just need to keep pushing through and realize the gains aren't always going to be really fast, but you can continue to make gains. And you can also make gains not just by lifting more weight, but by having better form, better technique. And it's all about the process. And don't be in a huge hurry to get to where you want to go because I, I know a lot of people they did hit some numbers they wanted to, but they pushed themselves way too hard, too fast, and ended up with so many injuries, they're not competing anymore. And I'm not saying to hold people back, but I like to make sure people are realistic too, because just because they got 100 pounds on their total between their first and their second meet doesn't mean they should expect or be let down when they don't have 100 pounds on their total for the next meet. Yeah, I think it's important to, to, to piggyback on what Susie said is, is create um, some process orientation rather than being so outcome driven. We talk about that a lot in terms of just and, and again, it's cliche, but if you can if you can really get into the process and begin to enjoy training and, and, and enjoy it. And don't get me wrong. There's some days when none of us want to be in the gym. I mean, that's the reality of life, right? I mean, like who's on fire to train 365 days a year. I mean, come on, you're not. So, but, but, but beginning to enjoy the process and, 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 and understanding that it is a process and, 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 and becoming accustomed to that rather than just being attached to outcome. Because if you, if you adhere to the process and truly do enjoy that journey, then the outcome is ultimately going to wind up taking care of itself. And so that's that's just where we try to, you know, steer our lifters. Hey guys, Quinn Hennick here. We hope you're enjoying our awesome conversation with Matt and Susie Gary. Real quick, I said it before and I'm going to say it again because it's fire, as the kids say. Clinical Athlete is teaming up with the Level Up Initiative and putting together the first ever virtual Calu Summit on September 18th through 20th. We've decided to come together on this because, let's face it, clinical practice is hard and conflicting information can leave you feeling lost. With the endless amount of research and dogmas, clinicians may feel frustrated and confused about how to help their patients. The Calu Summit is your solution to help you gain confidence and clarity with key rehab principles, including exercise prescription, pain science, and communication. 
We're centering these concepts around three common clinical cases that you may encounter, ACL reconstruction, low back pain, and tendinopathy. Gain confidence in your clinical practice and find your path to success. And hang out with a bunch of badass providers from our communities. For more information on the virtual Kalu Summit, head over to the link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. And now back to the show. You guys both kind of alluded to it in there a little bit, but how do you guys communicate life stressors on performance? Especially, you know, Matt, you were talking about people transitioning from juniors to like adulthood in real life. But it, it seems like there's this kind of prevalent thought process that we are kind of mechanical and, you know, life stressors shouldn't impact training. Unfortunately, that's just not true. So how do you go and communicate that to your athletes that, hey, you have a job, you're married now, you have kids. Like I know having children, time, now all of a sudden I can't train for three hours every day. Um, how do you communicate that to your athletes to expect that performance to slow down? Go ahead, Susie. Uh, well, at the performance can slow down and, and sometimes you can actually fight it and you can actually do better if you're not lacking sleep and you're not lacking all the other things. Um, I'll always tell people there's no one answer. I'll just give an example. In, in 2012 was the end of losing my mom. She battled cancer for a very long time. I usually train four days a week. I was at home, actually I'd competed at nationals and then I was getting ready for worlds a couple of weeks, like a month or two later. And I went home to be with her. And for three weeks, I was training twice a week, maybe. And I used the gym as my outlet. And, and when I was there, I really wanted to be there and I really focused and it helped me get through the rough times. And I actually hit a lifetime personal best in the deadlift and I hadn't improved in 10 years, I'd been kind of stagnant. So sometimes the stressors, you can use the gym to just kind of help you in life. And then there's other times where I've been so busy that I get sick. And I tell people it when life is, is affecting your physical health also, and or if your mental health, you can't handle it. You need to be realistic and you need to reevaluate your goals. If life is really crazy right now, or you've been injured, or you now have kids, and maybe you don't compete at a certain competition and you wait until you get used to the new situation. Just because you have a new baby doesn't mean you can't lift again, but it might not be a good idea to <laughs> plan a competition a month after you have a brand new baby because you're probably not going to get any sleep. So if you know certain events are going to happen, you're going to have a new job, you have a baby on the way, you're going to have a lot of changes. I'll tell people that maybe that's a time where you can really focus on your form, your technique. And, and if you can, unless you're a competitor trying to get on a national team, um, you, you know, just put things off a little bit. Just focus on getting better at what you're doing. Don't focus about how heavy you're lifting. Does that make sense? Yeah, a lot, actually. A lot of sense. 
I think there's always room for improvement and, and we all get attached to certain metrics and, and you guys with the physical therapy background know better than I that, you know, you can have a lot of qualitative improvements in movement quality and stability and, and, and so forth versus just the numerical one. And so, you know, if you're, if you're stuck in a point in time in your life, when you have these outside stressors that oftentimes are, are beyond your control, whether it be work or, or a death in the family, you know, like Susie encountered and so forth, um, you can perhaps, you know, be good in another area. I mean, you know, competition extends beyond the platform or, or beyond the, the the field. It's you know, it's who it's who sleeps the best. It's who recovers the best. It's who it's who makes weight the the easiest. You know, it, it's it's being punctual. It's being on time. It's it's being a professional. It's it's going about all of this different stuff. I mean, that all pours into competition. It's just you know what we see is what happens on game day, but we don't see the all the other stuff. So realizing that throughout the the training period throughout the year, you know, there's other areas for you to improve upon versus just the number that you're trying to improve upon. And when you improve in those other areas, the number is likely to eventually improve anyway as a byproduct of that. So, you know, just, just, I mean, look, every single one of us, you know, again, it's cliche, but we all have the same amount of time in the day and time is our most valuable resource because it's non-refundable. And so how you spend your time is a reflection of, of what is your priority. And so um, all of us are in direct control of, of food and sleep. And so those are the greatest, the two greatest things, as far as I know, that pour into recovery. So if you're in a, t- you know, a, 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 a dark time, you better, you better be on your P's and Q's in terms of uh, uh, food and sleep or as much as possible, because um, those will help to mitigate, you know, obviously stress and so forth. So, I mean, th- that's just to, to, to piggyback on what Susie said. I think also um, one of the things that helps us is, is just our attention to detail um, pregame. And, and what I mean by that is, is just by planning. And that's, you know, planning training. I mean, clearly you're not going to plan the most stressful week of training when someone has finals or when someone is going away for a wedding, or when someone is dealing with the death in a family, you know, you need to back off at those particular times. But if you, so if you can have a very high attention to detail throughout the training process, that's going to mitigate some of those, you know, unforeseen things that happen. And it also minimizes your stress and anxiety on game day. So when you do your homework beforehand, you know, in terms of some of the things that we do in terms of scouting and so forth, then that's going to reduce our stress on game day as well. And, and yeah. just one more thing. Um, I, I really like to, again, it's the communicating with the people. If they're under a lot of stress, reevaluating the goal, maybe they want to do a competition just for fun. Maybe they want to lower the numbers a little, but it's always being realistic of your strength at the time. But it's also a really good time when you're under stress to reach out. And if you've had anything going on, go to a physical therapist, go to a massage therapist, start, you know, focus on trying to take care of you as opposed to just getting stronger. Because sometimes, like he was, like Matt was saying, with the rest and the sleep, Um, I find that if I'm stressed, if I can just take a little bit of time to do something to help me feel like I'm making me better, like getting a massage, going to a physical therapist. I recently hired somebody to stretch me once every week for a half hour to 45 minutes, just because 
this is a stressful time of year for me because I'm also like a bookkeeper and deal with the accountants. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not doing it on my own enough. So I'm going to get someone to help me do it for me. Tax time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know. I got a couple clients that are CPAs. That's a, This is a fun time of year. <laughs> it's, it's great. It, that self-care is, is really important. And I think it's overlooked. And you know, Susie mentioned a little bit about mental health. And, and if this isn't something that's mentally healthy for you right now, it's probably a good idea to step back. But also taking and reevaluating things. You know, the Internet tells everybody that the only thing that matters is the total. But I think it's really important to kind of reiterate here that there are other ways to measure progress outside of just that number. Um, movement quality is a great one. Technical proficiency is a great one. Another one that I like to do with my athletes is maybe put them in a position that they're just not used to. If they like to squat wide and we need to back off a little bit, maybe I move your feet in, move you narrow, just change something to give you something different so you're you don't have that strange expectation that I'm going to hit this. <laughs> and and yes. sometimes I can reframe that for them and, and kind of lead to that stimulus. On that self-care kind of topic, what do you guys do as coaches? It, it's twofold. You, you obviously have some, some high-level athletes. You're traveling a lot. You've got some, some international athletes. You go on these big, big stages but what do you guys do to ensure that you're able to give your clients everything, especially that high level consistent effort you're talking about and attention with all the stuff that you also have going on as coaches? Um, I think, yeah, and this is going to be a rather simple answer. I think, again, it kind of goes back to, to, to food and sleep. And so I think, look, I, the, our most stressful times of year um, in terms of actually coaching and, and game day stuff would be at our raw nationals. And then again at our world championships. And so although Susie is no longer the um, open uh, national team head coach, um, we, we often still travel. You know, I went over to Sweden this past year and still was able to work with two or three athletes and be their personal coach. Um, and so we still, you know, and, the, and, and those can still be some some quote unquote stressful times. So in terms of self-care, I think I think food and sleep are at the heart of that. And I think, you know, particularly at nationals, when Susie and I are literally on our feet uh, from early in the morning till the last session at night, because we have lifters throughout the day. And then oftentimes we're handling lifters, coaching lifters in the primetime sessions. Um, it's important for us to, to, to bring food with us. And again, I know this isn't a sexy answer, but some of these coaches don't come prepared and they're, they're just not. And it's, and it's just, it's, it's, it's taking care of your body, whether it's having some protein shakes on hand or whatever. Um, you know, you're not going to be able to get away and catch a meal. So it's staying hydrated. It's, it's staying uh, up on your calories as much as possible. Um, and, and then afterward it's, it's taking care of your body at night. And what I mean by that is, is I mean, is, you know, a after the chalk dust settles and the and the game is over, so to speak, it's basically getting a meal, going upstairs, taking a shower and getting your ass in bed. And I know some coaches um, and don't get me wrong. There's there's a community aspect to a lot of these national events. And it's this it's almost like a family reunion of sorts. And so how many times, you know, sometimes you cross paths with people that you don't see at any other time of the year other than nationals. And so it's it's a time to kind of reunite and sometimes break bread with them. But I do know some coaches who will go out afterwards and and tie one on 
and paint the town red. And that's certainly not Susie and I, because we, we, we do want to come in the next morning as bright eyed and as bushy tailed as we possibly can. Because like you said, John, not only are we providing a service to our quote unquote clients or customers, if you will, but you know, because of that, I mean, you know, our, our performance means a lot to us as well. And, and it, it, it really does not just the performance of our lifters. I mean, that comes first, but Susie and I want to be at our absolute best. And, and we have our own standards to uphold and our own reputation to uphold. And we want to put our best foot forward. And so when we come into the warm-up room at a world championships or nationals, we mean business. And it's, you know, we're not, we're not there to, it's not a dog and pony show. I mean, it's, it's important to us. And so it's important to take care of our bodies the night before and not stay out all night. <laughs> and so I'm not going to name names, but there's some coaches who do that and they come in and they're, you know, their athlete can tell like, what the hell, man? You know, so that's that's not just how we roll. And it, it's crazy at nationals last year because the timing at raw nationals, the second session ran into the prime time and it ha- just so happened that we were handling three people on three different platforms and then Matt had to start warming up Dennis and Ray and I had to finish up working with the other clients or actually it wasn't it was Bryce he started warming up Bryce and I had to run from platform 1 to platform five, back and forth. Now, luckily I had a helper, but I, I had my eyes on the person each time. Now, if I had you know tied one on, which I never do, but you get adrenaline and you get the energy that you need if you stay fueled and if you're not hungover. <laughs> but, you know, it's, and I don't think it's fair to, to my clients on day three if, I, you know, if I don't give them the same quality coaching that I gave my clients on day one. And that's another thing, Matt and I will get a lot of people reach out to us. And realistically, we look and we say, okay, are they going to be in different flights? How many per session? And do we have someone we can hire to help us load weights and warm people up? And we'll tell some people no, because, and we have friends that have given us some of their clients for the same reason. You know, I'm not going to take eight people going on in one session because I'm not going to do service to any of them. Yeah. I remember this is one of those moments for me that, you know, looking back is, it was a big, is a big opportunity to learn the Arnold uh, a couple of years ago, you guys had um, Ray and Bryce, Kelly was on our platform. Mm -hmm. Blaine was on our platform and I had Tommy and I can, I can testify here. I remember at one point, in between warm up sets, somebody runs in, gives Susie a meal. She looks at her watch. She's like, I got five minutes and then I get to get this food in. And like, she was just, everything was still on time. That platform ran like a machine. I don't think there's another way to run it other than that. I mean, I'm holding one side of an ER rack. Ryan, who you guys had helping you, um, was, was holding the other side and it just plate, 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 plate. And everything was just on point. And you can't, especially with the strength level of the people that were there, you can't take that for granted. Like we were talking about just the safety issue oh, yeah. when it comes to, you know, Kelly Blaine and, and Ray on the same platform, mm-hmm. let alone Tommy and Bryce. I mean, there's 800 pound squatters right there, but 
you can't do that after you tied one on. You can't. You have to take care of yourself as a coach to be sharp enough to handle those things and run right back into the next portion and right back into the next portion and and be there for your athletes. So that's a. I've seen it. I've seen it in action, um, and that was a, a heck of, op- of an opportunity for me early on um, to to really learn. So. Yeah, it's uh, and and again, I, I know, I, and I've this is probably the third time I've said it on this podcast, <laughs> and so I apologize if I sound like a broken record. I know that some of these answers aren't sexy or aren't you know um, fancy, if you will, but it it common sense goes a long way, and and so if if you're out there and you're 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 in this industry and you're calling yourself a coach and you really truly think that you're a professional. Well, you damn well better act like one. And so, like, you know, to your point, John, um, you know, game day is the day where the rubber meets the road. And that and the, and that's 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 literally and figuratively the, 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 the you know, you reap what you sow and, and you want to put your best foot forward and display the fruits of your labor on game day. And so, you know, that's where all the action happens. And Susie and I take that very seriously. And we run a very tight ship in the warm-up room and and when it comes to having a clean platform to work on that's you know not going to be littered and cluttered with trash and weights thrown everywhere and i mean you know we rack our weights we pick up after ourselves you know and 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 our platform stands out and it looks like a professionally run operation because it is and because we put such a high emphasis on that i mean if you walk into a warm up room at any of these events and i and i've been to strongman competitions and weightlifting competitions and so forth you know which which platform do you think you and your athletes are going to be attracted to the one that looks like it's well kept or the one that looks like a pigsty you know, nobody wants to walk into a room that looks like a bomb just hit it. And so our little corner of the room is going to be neat as a pin and it's going to run like a well-oiled machine because it has to. Yeah. And, and I've seen that. And it, this is this is a kind of a side shout out. That's also one of the reasons why Sabres meets in Virginia are so attractive as a coach because mm-hmm. everything runs on time. Yep. He makes everybody put their stuff away. Um, I had a. I don't know if I'm actually going to go to other meets to coach other than because I'm spoiled almost at this point yeah. with how well that's run. And it's, it's the same thing. You know, you guys talk about with just, just the platform you're on, people are going to want to be there and they yeah. want to know that they're being well taken care of. And that, that speaks volumes to, to what you guys do as coaches. Mm-hmm. Jared Quinn, you guys have anything to add? Yeah. Question for both of you guys going back to maybe what we talked about in the very beginning of the show in regards mm-hmm. to exposure of the sport. And we're talking barbell sports in general, because I think, I think weightlifting has felt the boom as powerlifting has since, since CrossFit has become more popular and really just that whole circle. What can we do to, to provide exposure and awareness to these sports where you mentioned these, these kids in high school that, Maybe their football or their whatever career is over or even out of college or maybe they didn't play a sport in high school and just have no idea that powerlifting is even a thing. It's like, oh, I've seen a deadlift before, but that's a sport. And, and you know, these things become addictive real quick to these kids in a, in a good way and or, or not kids in general, uh, adults looking for that outlet that they had years ago, whatever it is. What, what can we do to expose these sports more, to provide awareness that they, that they are there, that they're an option? Are there special outreach programs that, that 
you guys are involved in or, or workshops, things like that? Susie, do you want to take this one? I mean, I've got some thoughts. But Why don't you, you start? So I'll just give you an example. So, uh, Quinn, you bring up a very good question. Um, we don't necessarily have any what I would call outreach programs. Um, that being said, uh, you know, we do uh, work with high school athletes. Um, I coach a couple of high school athletes at our facility uh, who play football and basketball and run track and so forth. And I always tell them when they come in, just as we, you know, I, I, I talk to them and I talk to their parents and so forth about, you know, what they're going to be doing inside the facility. And I tell them, look, uh, we are not trying to turn you into powerlifters or weightlifters, but we are going to use these uh, building block foundational movements, if you will, squat, bench, deadlift, and so on, to so that your your daughters and your sons can produce more force. And when they can produce more force, they can execute better out on the field or on the court and what have you. And so we teach them how to squat and how to bench and how to deadlift. And again, it's not... We're not trying to turn them into powerlifters. And so, um, but we teach them about the powerlifts. And then, you know, um, for, for those that, that might excel better in a heeled shoe, we might get them into a heeled weightlifting shoe. And then they're like, wow, what are these kind of shoes? And that kind of just, the ball starts rolling and then questions start to arise. And then, of course, they see the pictures on the wall at our facility of the, you know, the Susie Hartwig Garys, the Ray Williams, the Taylor Atwoods, the uh, Amanda Lawrence, et cetera, et cetera. And they see these other lifters, both male and female lifting. And, 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 and they don't realize, as you said, some of them, wow, you can compete at this. And we're like, yeah, you can compete at this. And, and we just got back from Dubai and they're like, wow, you went to Dubai to do this thing. And so you kind of, you know, that, that begins the conversation in the last month uh, alone since, uh, yeah, in the middle of December, we've had uh, two people who have joined our facility, one, one male, one female, and, and, and they knew about powerlifting, but had never been to a competition. I had two coaching appointments in the last couple of weeks with, um, they're not members, but they're people who have contacted us and come to us for some hands-on coaching. All four of those people have now come to a powerlifting competition because I invited them to one. And I said, look, here's a competition and here's all the details. And you're gonna, I want you to come watch because Susie and I are gonna be there coaching. And we have lifters and we've got um, lifters in the morning and the afternoon sessions, et cetera. Anyway, these four people have come and now they're literally like on fire for the sport. And as you, which is great, you know, and, and, and now that, you know, spreads like a virus because they wind up telling their friends and then they begin following people on social media and they start investigating and watching more YouTube videos and looking at different websites and combing through information, et cetera. So in, in, in lieu of an, of an outreach program, I guess we kind of do our own outreach in that way is that Susie and I are very, um, we encourage and invite people to come watch these powerlifting competitions, at least the local ones, you know, and, and come watch us and say, look, we're going to have lifters there. Come watch, you know, there's no better way for someone to get the, the true flavor of a competition than go watch one. I encourage every single person who thinks about competing in that endeavor, whether it be strongman, CrossFit, weightlifting, go to a competition first. It's, it's one thing to watch the live stream or watch it on ESPN, the CrossFit games. It's another thing to actually go there 
and to smell it and to taste it and to feel it and to rub up against the lifters and the coaches and so on and so forth, and then just really get a sense of it. And so that's that's the kind of outreach I think that, that Susie and I do the most. I, I think another thing just to add to that, the key is anyone that I work with, and I used to go, I used to help a physical therapist out by going into the home and doing some massage and then running people through the exercises that they needed to do to help them be in better shape before they went into the physical therapist. And so I've, I've worked with so many different types of people, whether they are athletes or just people trying to function. And I explain to everybody that I know that the lifts like the squat bench and the deadlift, they're just great for function in life. You know, how many people say, oh, I don't want to squat. That's terrible. And I remember I was working with a lady. She was almost 60. And I said, "Uh, can you get on and off the toilet seat by yourself? She's like, of course. I said, do you want to be able to get on and off the toilet seat when you're 70 (laughs) and 80 years old? And she's like, well, yeah. And I said, well, what do you think you're doing? You're squatting down and you're getting up. You're squatting down onto a chair and you're getting up. So these are functional movements that everyone should do. And then I think if people just trainers or, or anyone else that do with any sort of physical activity, if they could just encourage people to learn the movements and then if you can introduce them to some of the people, one of the things that I find that's fabulous at our facility, even though we have a lot of accomplished lifters, is they will treat someone who comes in there and is is going for a a personal best of a 50 pound bench press, people around cheer for them. I mean, people will stop and watch in our gym. So it's very supportive. So when I mentioned powerlifting or, and I believe it's the same way with weightlifting too, but, and strongman, the competitors, even though they want to beat the other person are very helpful to each other, um, cheer each other on. It's camaraderie. It's something you can do forever and you can, Yes. I mean, I'm a super competitive person, so I want to compete and I want to win. But there's competitions I've been in where I know I can't win, but I want to do better than I've done before. And I think if people kind of just introduce them to some of the movements, whether it's a strong man or a CrossFit, and you just give people a taste of it, they may not know what it is, but just encourage them to come in, like Matt was saying. And then, you know, if they're interested, you take them to a competition. But I think the biggest thing is if if everyone who loves the barbell sports can just get a friend to come into the gym and hang out and try it, I think that is the best kind of outreach. It's more the one-on-one people, I think, than because we already have now the media presence. Um, with the live streaming, they've done so much better. That's really made people understand the difference between powerlifting and bodybuilding. When I started out, I'm a powerlifter. Oh, you oil up and pose on stage. <laughs> it's like, no, <laughs> you know? So um, I think it's, I think the best outreach is each individual bringing a friend in or, or telling somebody about powerlifting in their everyday life. That's yeah. We had a, a, a big boom. We were fortunate enough to, to host a couple uh, local Maryland meets USAPL meets in in the gym at 301 mm-hmm. and my team is mostly women and there were members that came just to watch because you know you work out with each other and you see each other all the time every single one of those ladies came back 
on Monday and they walked right up and they said, I want to look like a badass just like they did. <laughs> yep. And they, I mean, like Matt's talking about, they were on fire. They Give them a taste. Coming, yep. And they were like, show me how to do this. And then, you know, a couple of them, like Susie's talking about, I can't squat. You know, I, I've got this or I've got that. Okay, well, let's see what we've got. Let's work it towards it gradually. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing you know, they're at depth, meeting the standard, doing what they have. And it may just be a 45-pound bar, but guess what? Nobody in the crowd knows and nobody in the crowd cares. Yep. Because you look like a badass up there in a singlet all by yourself. And they, <laughs> most of them know either, A, no way I'm ever going to do that, or holy crap, that's inspirational as hell. That's it. That's that's all anybody else is thinking. Yeah, and it's it's so it's so empowering, right? I mean, there's so many life lessons that get learned under the barbell, and I know that that's another cliche too, but it's so true. So you when you when you can, to Quinn's point, you know, expose people to this activity, and then they see how much value it adds to their life, not just in terms of, oh, I can squat or deadlift X amount, but it, it empowers me and it makes me feel better about myself or I was picked on or whatever your life circumstance is. It's just really cool. We have a 77-year-old lifter that, you know, her, her personal best deadlift now is 185. She's super, super proud of that. That's pretty good. Um, she should yeah, be. It's, 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 she should be. It's very good. That's um, pretty awesome. But her biggest accomplishment was actually one day she was over at a friend's house who just got a new puppy and they let her out, they let the puppy out of the crate and she bent over and picked the puppy out without thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And she, when she stood up, she finally realized she was like, oh my God, I didn't think about bending over or worrying about how this would feel or if I could get back up. I just did it. Yep. And that was such a big thing for her life that, you know, that again, she came into the gym, she was on fire. I'm going to do this. This, you won't believe what happened to me this weekend. Yeah. That could be very empowering. Mm-hmm. I got one more thing for you guys. So we've talked about character traits and habits that um, are becoming of a, of a good coach. What sort of resources would you point, say, either a new coach or, or a coach who's maybe been, been in the game for a few years but isn't super seasoned uh, or is just looking to improve, be they uh, books or websites or people or anything like that? Anything come to mind for you guys? I'm going to start with one. If you have the opportunity, find somebody in your area or travel to a competition, reach out to someone. Matt and I have had plenty of people reach out to us and they'll come and they'll shadow us at a competition. There's no better way to truly learn how to be a good hands-on coach if you're going to be a game day coach than to go around and if it's mainly lifting weights, but you can learn a lot um, by shadowing and helping those that you respect and that others respect that you think are doing a good job. So if you really are serious about it, you know, we had someone that flew to the Arnold and shadowed us at the Arnold because they wanted to be at a bigger meet and see what it's like to be at a big meet and coach and how to handle it. And uh, so, you know, don't be fooled by the smile and the friendly nature of me. <laughs> While I'm coaching, if you're going to mess with my lifter, I am a completely different person. And that's okay. But people need to see that too, because, you know, I am a very friendly person and I like to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. But if we're on a platform and my lifter's next and you walk up and you're like, oh, okay, I'll just take that weight. <laughs> you know, those people that walk around to the competitions and never load a weight, they just take someone else's. 
It's like one time, maybe. But after that, like when we're getting close to it, I'm like, no, you get in line like everybody else. Oh, I just need that weight. And it's like, my lifter needs to go in 30 seconds and my lifter's going in 30 seconds. But so seeing and learning, um, one, how to put things away where they belong, but also that you need to stand up for yourself and your lifter sometimes too. And you can't teach that and learn that like just in the gym or from a book. Yeah, my, my answer would be the same. The, 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 there is no one singular website or textbook that I would point anybody to, to be quite honest with you. I think that that so much of of that sort of stuff gets of, of of true coaching gets lost in translation through textbooks and websites and YouTube videos. Anyway, it's, it's, it's another thing. So we, we try to do, we try our best to create these mentor mentee situations as much as possible. We have people shadow us. Um, we'll have other coaches come into uh, our facility as well. And just sometimes um, watch us uh, coach, you know, lifters, just taking them through a squat session or a deadlift session or something like that. Um, to, to John's point, when I helped John with the shirt, I mean, I've had people come in and watch us, you know, uh, do stuff with the different equip side of lifting so they can learn that aspect of it. Because, I mean, there's, you know, look, you can you can watch a YouTube video on how to put on knee wraps, but until you've actually done it or seen a coach do it firsthand, um, you're not going to truly learn. And so that I, I think we're really, really big on, on interpersonal relationships and face-to-face. And, and so I think I think now, you know, people use the internet and cell phones as a pacifier and as a crutch. And so we, we oftentimes, I mean, we, we would rather engage as much as possible face to face. So whenever we can create those one-on-one situations with people, uh, we, we invite them both at the local and the national level, frankly. So, um, you know, to Susie's point, we have people shadowing us and working with us quite often. Um, and it, and you know, look, it's, it's a win-win. It helps us out too. So Okay. Anything else, Quinn and Jared? No, this was awesome. Well, yeah, thank you guys for coming on. This was really, really great. Oh, yeah. it was our pleasure. Thank you for having us. I, I have a question. So as as physical therapists, do you all ever travel to competitions and help out uh, in a physical therapy aspect too? Have you ever done that? So I have. Uh, I would say... For both powerlifting and weightlifting, mostly weightlifting, that's the that's the world I, I live in right now. But mm-hmm. I still pretty much take the role of of coach. I'm counting. I'm I'm handling. Um, if you know if somebody's got a need immediately before the meet, this is this is kind of this is me and my approach, and maybe just a whole other conversation in and of itself. It's almost it's almost managing it's almost managing expectations from there. I tend not to do a whole lot of uh, quote unquote work on people right before a competition, only because I'm usually have not been working with that person, and and it's it's something new, and I don't necessarily like to change things. I think they're coming in pretty much with what they got, and and uh, but I guess the the short answer to your question is yes. But I think maybe the way I go about it is a, a bit less traditional than you would think. Just kind of the physical therapist kind of tagging along with the with the tape and the and the yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'd answer similarly. I haven't uh, attended meets and, and worked in that capacity. Uh, one of the the reasons is that there's usually been 
uh, some healthcare practitioner, be it a physio or, or Cairo, who's um, who's been there. I think they've. I don't know if there's any sort of formal agreement, but um, at least on the CPU circuit, there's uh, one particular guy and, and a few of his employees who are usually at some of the meets or at least in my area. So that's kind of been taken care of there. And also maybe because my, um, I guess, primary goal at a lot of this competi- these competitions was to try to learn from from other coaches. You know, as you were talking about how that's a hugely formative and helpful experience, I had the chance to go up to uh, CPU nationals last year. Yeah, it was last year and help out for the majority of the week. Um, and it was excellent. As soon as my, my coach and then his business partner offered that, or they asked if I'd be available, I said, I'll I'll make it happen for sure. And uh, I wouldn't have traded that experience. Susan and I were at, uh, CPU nationals in, um, in where it was in Calgary, right? So yeah, Calgary, Eighteen. yeah, two two years ago, and okay. uh, perhaps it's the same therapist that you're talking about yeah. who was who was there. And um, uh, yeah, I, I thought that was really cool how he was, you yeah. know, helping out people, you know, that that might have run into an issue or something, you know, mm-hmm. during the competition and and providing insight and some treatment and so forth. And and so anyway, I, I just think that that's that that's nice that it, at least up in in the CPU. Um, it seems to be a little bit more prevalent than it is down here. Uh, that's just my sense of it anyway. So mm-hmm. um, I, I t- just go ahead. I typically see it more in weightlifting yeah. where you have like a Cairo or you have a, a PT or a massage therapist there. Um, it, it seems like they always have like some sort of agreement, especially because yeah. a lot of those actually happen in CrossFit gyms that are a little bit more connected with that kind of community. Yeah. Uh, however, I will say there have been a couple instances that, the injury rate in powerlifting is relatively low, especially in competition. Mm-hmm. But as an athletic trainer, emergency med was like a pretty pretty big deal for my education. So if, if I see something happen on a platform, and I mean, I'm going to go over and, and have a conversation and see if they're willing to to talk. Um, and there's there's times where people want to have that conversation, um, but when it, in regards to like an intervention, that's not. To me, it's not the time or place at that point. It's just having that conversation and trying to, to set them at ease and say, okay, this is where we're at and kind of move forward from there. Yep. yep. And, I, and I agree with all of you because it's the same way. Um, before I started coaching, but I was competing on the national teams and, you know, you're traveling around, you're in Norway and you can't even speak the language, although a lot of them speak English. I ended up um, by default because I was a massage therapist um, becoming the person that everybody wanted to work on them. But I I told everybody, look, if you have something that's stopping you from moving, I'll help loosen it up some. But um, another thing as a coach that I tell people when they talk about it, I said, never get treatments unless you really, really need it right before you're competing. Um, Because look, if your body has been tight for two months and suddenly you go and somebody works on you really hard the day before and loosens you up, your movement patterns are now different. It could actually really throw you off. But um, I ended up doing a lot of volunteering and working on people after they competed. So I didn't know if you all um, did that. And as you as you kind of alluded to, you do a little bit if they need it. But I, I agree that it should definitely be after and not before unless it's super necessary. I usually just tell people to cinch up their wraps tighter and 
<laughs> pull the bell a notch or two uh, to, to the right. Cap. One in each right. Yeah. Skull smash right to the face. It's <laughs> funny. Oh, man. So where can people connect with you if they want to reach out? Uh, I think I think the best way to get a hold of us is just, I mean, it, our, our website is kind of a one-stop shop for contacting us. If you just go to supremesportspt.com, uh, literally everything is on there from from our emails to our Instagram handles to reaching out to us. And that's, that's probably the best way to connect. And, and, and we invite those conversations via email, social media, phone calls, you name it. We'll, we'll take them all. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I'm glad we could have it. Um, appreciate you guys coming on. Thanks for Thank having Jared. us. Same, yeah. Anything else? We good. No, that was great. Yeah, thank you guys. I was selfishly looking forward to this for, for a while. <laughs> thank, thank you very much thank for having you, us. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate <laughs> it. Pleasure. No problem. Absolutely. Talk soon. And I will see you guys probably pretty soon. Okay. All right. Looking forward to it. Cheers. Take care. We'd like to thank Matt and Susie Gary for being on the show. Check out the show notes to find their website and all of the awesome things they're doing for the strength sport community. And of course, thank you to my homies, Jared Maynard and John Flagg for steering this ship alongside me. And thank you, the Click Lathic community, all six of you, for joining us on this journey of knowledge and improved practice in both the gym and clinic. And remember, if you want to dive even deeper into the clinical athlete community, you can check out all that the clinical athlete forum has to offer, which includes our clinical athlete academy courses, amazing discussions and networking with professionals, clinicians, coaches, as well as students, and just our overall hub of knowledge in regards to athlete health and performance. And don't forget to reserve your spot to the Kalu Summit. Thanks, everyone, and talk to you soon.